Hello, you're listening to Dear God, What the Hell? I'm Amanda. And I'm Christina. If you're wondering who the heck we are and where on earth we came from, we suggest checking out season one before you dive into season two with us. Basically, we're two women who grew up in the white American evangelical church and unpacked our upbringing on air for you to hear. And in season two, we will read and research popular passages from the Bible, discuss how and when we learned them, and apply historic, cultural, and feminist lenses to them. Welcome back, and as always, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Christina. Quick ask of you guys, if you could do this for us, it would mean so much. If you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, if that is the primary one that you listen to, that would be super beneficial for us, makes it easier for people to find us, and we love hearing what you guys think. Um, Also, definitely subscribe to us on any of the streaming platforms that you use, and as always, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Christina. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Duke has just kept meowing, and it's just so oh, funny yeah. to me. She never stops. No, she doesn't. So, like, she's literally fine if she is in the same room as me, but if she's in the same room as me, then she's also literally on me, which is a whole new form of distraction. So, right. yeah, she's just meowing to her heart's content. Um I got a new kitty litter for her and I liked it for the first week, but now I'm really over it. And it's like one of those subscription ones where you have to like unsubscribe. Otherwise you're going to keep receiving it in the mail. So I'm like Mm. trying to figure out how to unsubscribe, but I apparently didn't make an account, but I have to log into my account to cancel my subscription. And it's this whole ordeal and I'm really annoyed with it. Oh my gosh. That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah, it's so stupid. I'm like, well, I thought this was going to be really cool and it was for a week, but now it's just not very high quality kitty litter and I'm annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, that's a, that's a bummer. I I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. know. I mean, chorizo. I use um So you have to keep the humid since we're talking about our pets, I'll tell you about mine. Um Oh, yes. Chorizo uh, with ball pythons, you have to keep them like at a certain humidity level. Specifically, like, in uh-huh. one part of their terrarium, you don't have to do it all over, and they actually recommend that you don't, because they can get what they call scale right scale rot, which is, um, oh. yeah, Jesus. like, if, if they're kind of, like, wallowing. Now, it's, if they're if you're not keeping the terrarium clean, so if you're not cleaning out you're- the substrate, if you're not, like, taking stuff out and replacing the substrate, things like that, um, and you're okay. kind of making it almost too humid to where they're wallowing in, like, a pool of just grossness. Uh-huh. And it can get up and under their scales, uh-huh. and then rot. That okay? That entire yeah. like description makes your snake sound like a house plant. I know he really like, is. I literally he does require that much attention. Like he requires less attention than a plant because I have to water him like. I usually give him water and like rehydrate his terrarium when I feed him. So like once every 10 days, I keep an eye on the humidity and like adjust it if need be. But for the most part, he's pretty self self self-sufficient. That's like about on par with some of my house plants. (laughs) I recently, so Brandon bought me a bamboo, 
about a year ago. And he was like, look, something you can't kill. And I was like, you're right, something I can't kill. I didn't know that you can overwater bamboo. So I accidentally fucking killed it. I was gonna say Amanda killed it. She killed it. I did. I killed it. And I literally like I told Brandon, I was like, I'm gonna try to save this plant. Like I apparently I gave it root rot and then mold started growing, which is really gross. And I feel so bad for this little plant. Oh no. um, (laughs) I didn't know that that was the case. So I was like reading on how to like save it. And it was like, make sure that you like use clean scissors or clean sanitized knife and like cut it above where the stalk is yellow. But if the stalk is yellow, like chances are you can't even save it. And I was like, well, fuck. So I have two like little beheaded bamboo bits sitting in little bowls, hoping that they will take root and survive. Um, but I, my hopes are really low. So that sucks. Here's hoping, like I'm hoping for you too, but um, yeah, yeah, friend. I don't, yeah. I don't know how that one's going to go. Yeah. And I just turned around and looked at my, um, swiss cheese plant which god bless this plant brandon has knocked it over and spilled its soil so many times i just need a bigger pot to repot it in because it's fucking huge or i need to like break it up and do a couple smaller pots where are and you I just putting noticed, it like, brandon is running weird. into it constantly it used to be downstairs and then i moved it upstairs because brandon kept running into it to be fair this plant probably is like four feet wide from leaf to leaf it's fucking wide um, mm-hmm. but I just saw something weird on the back side of one of the leaves, and now I'm worried about what the hell that is. Oh my so, gosh. and I'm out of soil. I'm out of soil. So that's another problem. I can't repot until I get more soil. Uh <sighs> love that. Love that. It's so fun. But yeah, no, Brandon's <laughs> really good at knocking plants over, and I'm really good at getting mad at him when he does it because I love my husband. Him. But like Sometimes he really doesn't pay attention to what he's doing or where he's going. Me neither. <sighs> <laughs> it's just this constant destroy, and then I talk with my hands, which doesn't help either. So, <laughs> you know, that's fair. Yep. The life, the yeah. life of an adult with ADHD. Seriously. An animated though, talking hands. Hey, you know, I just, they just talk with my hands and then they swing <laughs> everywhere and now shit's everywhere and I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you are all good. You're all good. Um, but let's see. We are talking about Passover. I just saw in the notes that you put that my make sounds like a house plant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wanted to say it, but then I was like, I'm just gonna type this in case I forget it. So yeah, your snake sounds like a house plant. Uh, he is honestly like he does not require much attention at all. He is a my baby and he is. Just, just this wonderful little little nugget, and I just, I, I adore him so much. Sweet little ball, sweet little ball, sweet little ball. We love the little sweet ball. Little ball. We love the little. He, tree, he so. pokes his little head out. He did this when I came home today because I spent the weekend um, with my boyfriend, so I haven't been home since Friday. So um, mm-hmm. he, uh, I came home and he obviously heard me come home, so he likes to poke his little head out and go food food and then when there's no food he just puts his head back in he's like no food leave me alone oh my gosh i love that yeah he's 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 very very highly food motivated i could feed him probably more than he needs to get fed and make him overweight because he'll just keep eating oh my gosh that's also how 
An overweight is. That's true. Have you seen an overweight snake? Oh my gosh. I have. When you were looking at snakes, you sent me pictures of them because you were like, yeah, this is what they're not supposed to look like. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is a giant noodle. Yeah. And so like tamale. They do. And they get like little rolls and stuff, folks. And then they feel, they feel like, do you remember those like stress, like squeezy tubes? Mm -hmm. Yes. They feel like because they, they're, it's fat, not, not muscle on them so they feel squishy (laughs) they're not supposed to feel squishy they're supposed to feel like they're muscle yeah so oh my gosh that's really sad but also really funny yeah it's kind of adorable and i'm like chorizo i will never feed you so much where you get fat because i love you too much to do that to you and i don't know how to make you exercise (laughs) so Uh, yeah i will probably feed him less than not less but just like yeah i'll keep him at a healthy weight that's what i'll say um but yeah we are talking about passover in this episode which has nothing to do with snakes Uh, which has nothing to do well uh, was that one of the 10 plagues i don't think no it wasn't i don't think it was let me see this hold on i'll pull up list of the plagues of egypt i think yeah yeah turning oh wait no that wasn't a plague but aaron turned his staff into a snake or moses did somebody turned a staff into a snake uh that would be moses okay moses because moses um it was like proof that god was speaking to him you know or god was working through him Exodus chapter seven verse six. It was oh, wasn't it Moses? It was technically Moses narrated it, but Aaron did the thing. Aaron did the thing. Okay, sorry. Aaron the, did the thing, but Moses. The was Prince there with of him Egypt because... movie lied to me, people. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, Prince of Egypt was a great movie, but not historically yeah, it was accurate. Aaron. But the music. Aaron stick. Oh, yes, it did. That was freaking amazing. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, Passover is a time, and I think we meant to record this episode during Passover, but time just kind of gets away from you, which is fine. Yeah. Well, um, and Passover was really early this year, too. It was. It was really early. So, Passover is when the people of the Jewish faith celebrate um, or just kind of pay remembrance to um, the kind of like uh, this time in Egypt where there were the plagues coming through. Um, Specifically, I want to say the name comes from the final plague, which is um, death of first death of the firstborn. Mm -hmm. Because um, they put blood on their mantles of the, like the frame of their door basically and that mm-hmm. marked their home as you know people of the jewish faith live here like and so the spirit that came and took the firstborn children or firstborns uh passed over those homes yeah and the name passover um mm-hmm. but uh let's see the plagues of egypt so there were 10 in total um mm-hmm. and disasters inflicted on Egypt by God of Israel in order to convince the Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to depart from slavery. Each of them um 
confront oh each of them confronting pharaoh as and one of his egyptian gods they serve as signs and marvels given by gods to answer pharaoh's taunt that he does not know yahweh you know the egyptians shall know that i am the lord basically is what god was saying to all this but um the list of plagues are as follows bring them on turning water into blood gross frogs um i i would assume many frogs that were like not good um <laughs> lice or gnats a lot of frogs ew <laughs> no bugs in general um <laughs> wild animals or flies so i think that he, something that could like be a nuisance or be destructive to um okay. the land of egypt and then specifically pestilence of the livestock so like Locus. wiping out their livestock in total um boils yeah fun one um thunderstorm of hail and fire love that okay my nightmare um locusts there you go okay and then darkness for three days oh wow which was probably i want to say an eclipse of some kind maybe that would be something that i would like to like look at sun charts for yeah because i feel like that one can i i when i was looking up the plagues of egypt the first thing that popped up is like did they actually happen and this is the one that i can like probably pinpoint and say like this could be what describe like how this happened Mm -hmm. is the scientific explanation is like an eclipse of some kind i'm not sure but if you wanted to like put some you know weight into hey like this is how it could have possibly happened Mm-hmm. and then finally death of the firstborn and yeah. this was just Which death is- of the firstborn children of anyone who didn't mark their doors with the blood you know yes yeah which also included pharaoh and slaves and also the firstborn of livestock so lots of dead animals as well mm-hmm. i was looking at like so on i'm on wikipedia right now just for like the list of stuff and um, it okay. has a, it has a film notation of like how it's represented in films, and the Prince of Egypt oh. is on there. Good, as but it should so be. Is the mummy. <laughs> Are you serious? Of course, because when Emotep comes back, um, he brings with him the ten plagues of Egypt. So there's a point where he changes the water into blood. There are locusts when he first comes back. There are flies as well um he does he puts boils on his on the people that he turns into like his like little slaves um yeah so there are um quite a few i don't remember i think those are the four that stand out the most as like the plagues Mm -hmm. that he brought with him because it just says that he would bring the plagues with him like he has the option to use them and he only used some he didn't use all of them (laughs) but yeah love that wow yeah so that was interesting but anyway um Let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, did you know there was a Rugrats episode called a Rugrats Passover? It's amazing. Yeah, because I believe um, that uh, someone in, in, the- in Rugrats is Jewish. I want to say it's the Pickles family. I Don't think it's Pickles family because Grandpa think it's Boris. The Pickles family. Grandpa Boris is the one. Yes. His name is Boris. So like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. No, that's super cute. Anyway, 
anyway um yeah so those are like the plagues of egypt the reason why passover gets celebrated is or uh, celebrated i i say that because it is kind of like a celebration it's like a big uh, a meal and um it's a lot of paying homage to the past Mm -hmm. um specifically you know you you eat a lot of food but it's the food that you know would have been eaten back then it's a lot of matzo meal Mm-hmm. And then uh, my mom hates this, but gefilte fish. I Your mom hates gefilte fish? She does not like it. And to be fair, oh, the way it might have been I cooked. Gefilte fish. Oh, the woman yeah. also hated Brussels sprouts for the longest time until I showed their... That gefilte a- fish shouldn't be cooked. It should be served cold. If you're serving it hot, you're doing it wrong. Uh, I, I don't think. know because I've never had gefilte fish. Oh, girl! But um, I think she she maybe the way it was served she didn't like mm-hmm. because, like I said, this woman also used to hate Brussels sprouts until I showed her there was a way you could make Brussels sprouts other than yeah. boiling them. Ooh, I feel like that's also like a whole generational thing. Like I feel like our parents' generation literally the only type of vegetables they ate were boiled and or canned which like i i know canned foods have the same nutrition as like fresh or frozen foods but also like canned food just tastes different in a not good way mm-hmm. yep. and it's gross it is gross i hate canned vegetables so much <laughs> but oh. yeah anyways <laughs> let's see um so i think i remember first learning about passover when i was like growing up but it was it wasn't because of my heritage or anything like that Mm -hmm. it was because of you know being taught in the bible that the jews like that's what they celebrate that's what they use as like a remembrance to everything that happened to them yeah um and i think i was a little bit older when i got taught that um and i think it was like very brief in passing. I always saw it on the calendars too. You know, Passover, mm-hmm. Passover. Yeah, yeah. That's about it. That's all the interaction I had with it, which stinks because I am mm-hmm. Jewish by heritage. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. Um, I think the first time that I learned about Passover, I don't think I learned about it in the context of the ten plagues. Um, I think I actually learned about it first in the context of like Jesus's Last Supper. So. I remember like reading the gospels or like being taught the gospels in um, junior high and high school, like Bible classes, probably junior high um, and talking about how like Jesus and his disciples had his last supper and it was also a Passover dinner. Um, And that's like detailed in like Luke chapter 22 verses seven through something it's it's long but i think that's like the first context i learned about it was um that jesus like celebrated passover and that was like the only context i had for a very long time mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a very it, it, we don't you don't get too much information on it because in the white evangelical christian church you do you don't celebrate passover yeah, you just you really only celebrate Easter because they often are like in conjunction with one another, except Passover follows the lunar calendar. I think Easter also follows the lunar calendar, but the way that the days are decided is like slightly different. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, usually they're on the same weekend. Sometimes they are not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my mom, I mean, I just didn't have much interaction with Passover, which, which really kind of yeah. stinks. I, I, I have yet to actually celebrate a Passover. I think that did, was there what? like, sorry to interrupt you. Was there like a reason why your mom didn't like celebrate Passover with y'all or like celebrate it with her family and everyone? Oh. Once she got into the Christian faith, like all of the practices of her Jewish faith kind of got put by the wayside. Oh, okay. she it wasn't until I started getting interested in my Jewish heritage that she started bringing it back and being, I think, more proud of it. And and I think this can tie into this as well. Um, mm -hmm. My relatives on my mom's side, specifically like my grandfather, um, they had to change their last name when they mm -hmm. um, moved to where we currently live, because they moved it when my mom was a pretty young age. Um, mm -hmm. Because my grandfather was facing a lot of anti-Semitism at work because the mm -hmm. last, her birth name, um, his name was very Jewish. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it was one of the Bergs. Oh, okay. So it just, it, it is known for being a Jewish last name. And so they changed it to something kind of stereotypical, um, Alexander. Mm -hmm. So they changed the last name. And so because of that, I think maybe my mom, now I don't mean to speak for her, but I think that maybe she had this, um, like they were still very proud and they celebrated Jewish um, events and things like that. But as she got older, I think that it was just something that slipped away from her because she was kind of like, it's been something she kind of had to hide mm -hmm. as far as like changing her last name. And it is something that was almost kind of taken from her in little bits. Mm -hmm. And then when she switched over to Christianity, that was the biggest jump to kind of take away the practices as well. Yeah. Um, and then when I started getting into learning more about Judaism and the Jewish faith, you know, I was like, hey, can we celebrate Hanukkah? You know, we don't have to do all the presents and everything like that, but I would love to say the prayer and light the candles. Yeah. Um, so I think that we were we were kind of close to doing a Passover this year, a Passover Seder. Um, but you know, I honestly I was working, I think. And she ended up having one uh, with members of her church. And my mother still goes oh. to a Christian church, which was interesting okay. to me. And like I said, there's a lot of like Messianic Judaism that mm -hmm. she practices, which Messianic Judaism is just the belief that Jesus was the Messiah. So really, it's Christianity calling it Judaism is kind of an <laughs> insult, I believe. Yeah. It, I mean, I know because like in the group that I mentioned last week uh, that I'm in on Facebook, the Jews are tired. Um Anytime they see anything Messianic Ju Judaism, they they get, you know, offended by it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, you can't be tying the word Judaism to this. But there are those because who by do. Nature, my mother is one of them. It's not Judaism any longer unless exactly. you're talking about it just from like a heritage bloodline standpoint. But like even then, exactly. that makes your heritage different from your belief system. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <sighs> so I think that that was a big tie into it is like she was taught from a young <laughs> age that this was something that not to be ashamed of by any means, but something that you kind of had mm -hmm. to hide if you want fair treatment. Mm, which is sad. 
It is. It is. Now, no one on my mom's side of the family, like, particularly looks Jewish, except maybe my grandfather. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and that's probably kind of something stereotypical of me to say. Um, but they're very, they're very white passing, is what I'm saying, is that they don't have any oh, outstanding okay. characteristics that someone immediately might go, hey, you're Jewish. Um, especially yeah. when they change the last name. So, mm. you know, very, very white passing. Okay. Yeah. As far makes, as that's concerned. Yeah. but yeah so that's why we've never really celebrated it in um okay my family but i would love to hear about the story of the first passover um yes do you have that in front of you i do yeah so i'm looking at um exodus oh lord where am i yeah i'm looking at exodus 12 Um, So essentially the Lord says to Moses and Aaron while they're in Egypt that this month, the month of the plagues essentially is to mark the beginning of the calendar um, and that it should be the first month of the year. And basically to tell everyone um, in Israel that on the 10th day of that month, they need to take a lamb for each family or particularly like a lamb for each household and um, sacrifice the lamb. It needs to be perfect and smear some of the blood on the doorway to protect themselves from what is going to pass over. And then they need to eat the lamb that same night, roast over the fire with unleavened bread, matzah, and bitter herbs, maror, which we'll get into that in a second. Um, They can't let any of it remain until anything that does, they need to burn. And basically they need to be prepared to leave. They need to have their loins girded, which is a direct quote. And I don't exactly know what it means, but it sounds fun. Um, Mm -hmm. Your sandals need to be on your feet. Your staff needs to be in your hand and you need to eat in a hurry and get ready to leave because it's the Passover of the Lord. And he's going to strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, human animals. um, And on all the gods of Egypt, God will execute judgment. So all of this comes to pass the way that it was said to have done so throughout the rest of chapter 12. Um, and then in chapter 13 of Exodus, God continues to talk about the festival of unleavened bread and how for seven days they shall only eat unleavened bread. And then on the seventh day, there should be a festival. And then, yeah, from there essentially is when the Israelites are freed from Egypt when Pharaoh says, that's it. Goodbye. Get out of here. Shoo. Leave before I change my mind. And then Pharaoh eventually changes his mind and chases them. But by that point in the time, um, Moses has separated the Red Sea and they cross through. And then there is rejoicing from Moses and rejoicing from Miriam. And everybody is really happy that they made it out alive. Can't catch me. Ain't never going to catch me. Exactly. So, yeah, that's like the quick um, summary of Passover in the chapters. Yeah, in the book of Exodus. Cool. I like that. That was a yeah. nice little summary. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank that. you. She's unlike last so... week. This... I know. <laughs> unlike last week, this time I actually read it. So I could summarize it a lot easier. Hey, oh, um... no, you're fine. You're fine. I still think <laughs> last week's episode was a really great dis- discussion because you're. Um... We, we said this after the episode, but um, that it was more like a looking at it from a historical standpoint and yeah. looking at it like almost like history students and trying to look at mm-hmm. it from that perspective rather than, you know, mm-hmm. 
just playing the song and being like, hey, <laughs> all that good. Abraham, that kind of a very dynamic character with a lot of stories. Right, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. I know that you have celebrated Passover, right? Yes, Christina. Yes. It is one of my favorite celebrations every year. Can we try? Because so, hopefully, hopefully, with everyone getting vaccinated and things like that, can we go for a Passover next year? Yes, can absolutely. I can. Because I'll ask. I'll ask love my that. mom's friend if you can come to the one that we go to. Like, if we can go to his house. So, like, we've gone. I think we've been going to Passover since. Oh Lord, it's been at least ten years because I remember bringing ex boyfriend with me once, and then the following year I was single. So we've been going since like 2012, so nine years now. Um, but one of my mom's friends and former coworkers is Jewish. He hosts Passover every year, and he and my mom were like BFFs when they worked together. So he has this over every year um, for Passover, and it is we usually join on the family night, which is the first night of Passover. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, it's really sweet to be welcomed in like family. It's been really enjoyable. And I, the first thing that really captivated me about Passover and the way that it's celebrated, the specific Haggadah um, that they use or like the book of readings that they use is really centered on issues of justice, which I don't know if all Haggadahs are like that. I think many might be, but what really captured me at first was the idea that um, so much um, sorrow and injustice has occurred in the Jewish community and for the Jewish people. And yet like within all of that sorrow and injustice, there is a lot of joy and a lot of celebration um, and a lot of not bitterness a lack of bitterness is probably the way that i would put it oh yeah so, because there's a you can easily get so burnt out by everything like if you look back on everything that the jews have been blamed for and what they've gone through not mm -hmm. saying that you know their sufferings are, are worse than anyone else's this is not a comparison by any means but um yeah. you know any culture can get bur burdened by things that they've gone through um yeah and just kind of get burnt out by it. So there, there is a lot of resilience in the Jewish faith. And I think a lot of it might stem from, and I'm not speaking for anyone as a whole, but from my personal understanding of it, is a lot of it is stemmed from, you know, being God's chosen people and holding on to that fire. Mm -hmm. And and that's yeah. something that I know that has been an impassioned um, in the Jewish people is like, we, we are the chosen ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know that that is something that they, they have a lot of pride in um, mm -hmm. and that, you know, I think that that has kept them trying to see the positive at least. Yeah. And there's also like, I think there's also a sense of humility. Like there's, um, there's a song that is relatively commonly sung at Passover and it's Dianu. And like the message of the song is like, if, God had saved us from the hand of the Egyptians, but had not like successfully led us into the desert, that would be enough. And like, if God had led us into the desert, but had not parted the Red Sea, that would be enough. If God had parted the Red Sea for us to escape, but then had not like led the way afterwards, that would have been enough. Um, and this idea of like any, um, any amount of saving from the Egyptians or from um, any, 
like negative thing that happens, like any amount of saving would have been enough. Like just this unparalleled gratefulness, um, mm-hmm. I think is really inspiring and I appreciate it. And also that song just straight up slaps and gets stuck it in my head for a does. very long time. <laughs> it does. And now it's going to be stuck in your head. You're going to go to, you're going to go to church. Today really and be like, it really is. And you're <laughs> like, well, here we are. But yeah. So I really enjoy that. And I also really enjoy like I'm a huge nerd when it comes to symbolism. So I really enjoy all of the symbolism behind like the food that is eaten and the order in which the foods are eaten and like the four glasses of wine. And it just it warms my little symbolic heart. Yes, um, that's um, that's something I wanted to talk about for a minute because I'm going to look into this real quick. Because I don't know too much about this, but this is something that my mom brings up a lot because this is one of her favorite memories from Passover, which is Elijah's cup. Tell me about it, because that is something that we really don't focus on at the family that I celebrate with. Okay. Like it, it exists, it sits on the table, but we do not make a big deal of it. We make a big deal of hiding the afikomen, but that's about it. Okay, let's see who is elijah so um so elijah um according to uh, britannica.com <laughs> um is the hebrew prophet who ranks with moses in saving the religion of yahweh from being corrupted um by basically egyptian faith um mm-hmm. elijah's name means yahweh is my god and is spelled elias in some versions of the bible um it looks like his story is told in the northern kingdom of israel during the reign of kings ahab and Isaiah, as told in first kings and second kings um so okay. basically he also played a part in in the saving of the hebrew faith um mm-hmm. but not at the same time as moses i do believe that they were at different times obviously because mm-hmm. this was an exodus and then his story is in first kings and second kings so mm-hmm. um The cup of Elijah's cup in Judaism um, is the fifth ceremonial cup of wine poured during the family Seder dinner on Passover. It is left Mm -hmm. untouched in honor of Elijah, who, according to tradition, will arrive one day as an unknown guest to herald the advent of the Messiah. So if he were to Mm -hmm. come as an unknown guest, um, it means that, you know, the Messiah is coming because the whole point, the, the the key thing in the Jewish faith that differs it from Christianity is they do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the Seder dinner, biblical verses are read while the door is briefly opened to welcome Elijah, who it is further said will resolve all controversial questions connected with the law. So I'm not sure what that means. Um, I don't either. <laughs> but um in this way the seder dinner not only commemorates the historical redemption from egyptian bondage of the jewish people so exodus but also calls to mind their future redemption when elijah and the messiah will appear because it said that elijah will herald in the messiah so that's who that's interesting because I, i i'm learning this too um so elijah's cup was something that my mom always talks about because like i said it's one of her favorite um stories of when she was growing up and would have her passover seders um because i think they were Mm -hmm. more old school probably not as contemporary i would say i would call maybe Mm -hmm. like especially the topics of conversation that you get into with the one you're accustomed to going to 
I feel mm-hmm. like are more contemporary. Oh my god. Um, we literally have like a response, like a question and response section in the Haggadah where it's like, what are some plagues inflicting your country right now or like inflicting your world right now? And not this past year because Trump was already out of office, but a year ago when we were doing this Seder on Zoom. <laughs> it's like half of the Trump. family was like Trump. And I was just like, this is, this is one of the reasons I love this family so much. Exactly. So uh, one of my mom's favorite stories of it is she remembers one time that um, the family was, I think she was in her early mid-teens at this point, Um, Mm -hmm. and the family was allowing the children to partake in the wine. And so Elijah's cup is filled with wine, um, Mm -hmm. and then they do open the door to, you know, welcome him in if he comes in, and... Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be like if Elijah came, the cup is empty. Yep. <laughs> so oh, no. um, I see they got going. a bit more, a bit zealous with the drinking, and um, they started drinking from Elijah's cup. And the next morning, all the adults were like, "Holy shit! Did Elijah come?" <laughs> and then my mom and her friend were like, <laughs> "We." They were so hungover, and everyone was like, "I don't think Elijah came." I think that these two just got um, <laughs> into the cup. And so it's this funny little yep. story. Um, but yeah, so um, they were just kind of like, don't drink out of Elijah's cup next time, okay? And they were like, sorry. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was just like a funny little thing. But that's Elijah's cup. That's something that I know as far as like a, a, something that happens at maybe more um, con- uh, like old school Satyrs. I don't know if it's still really a thing to do Elijah's cup, but um I think I think it is. I think it's just something that like different families like celebrate or like choose to incorporate differently. Like I think we always have Elijah's cup on the table, or it's like mm-hmm. on a different table or it's by the door, but like we don't open the door. We also are hosts. So it's more of like a, we only uh, really follow something of we only really follow like the first 45 minutes of the Haggadah and after that we eat and just talk and don't do the rest of it because apparently if we did the entire Passover it would take until like 2 a.m and nobody is up for that (laughs) which is fair and understandable because that's really really late yeah that's a lot yeah (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I stayed up until like midnight last night and I was like, oof, this is wow. This is late. Holy moly. Yeah, that's late for you. Yeah, it was. We, yeah, we got back from a car club thingy really late. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, yeah. Let's see. Um, but do you have something that you specifically like enjoy about Passover, the one that you've been to? Like, is there something that stands out in your head that you look forward to? I think mostly um, (laughs) from a religious standpoint, I really appreciate the um, sort of like tradition aspect of it. So I think that one thing that like the evangelical church gets 100% wrong is that it's like they threw tradition out the window at some point in time. And I think that tradition has a very definite place in any religious practice. And I didn't encounter tradition in 
really any way, shape or form until I went to Passover. And that's largely because like I grew up in a very like contemporary non-denominational Christian church and everyone was like, what's tradition? Our tradition is a mission trip every summer. When in reality, like there weren't any like liturgical prayers or like really calendars adhered to or any celebrations besides Christmas and Easter. But the idea of people gathering once a year for many years in a row and specifically recounting the same story as a family was really powerful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's something that like many Christian families don't even do around Easter or Christmas, like gathering together and having like an interactive meal or an interactive like Bible reading session around those um, religious holidays. So I, that was a really interesting and like refreshing thing to me when I first started participating in Passover. And another thing that I really like is that every year we do an interactive reading of Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, Miriam, and like almost, it's not like a full acting out of the 10 plagues, but it's like a little script in like four short acts of that exchange. Um, And every year my dad plays Moses and it's so funny, Christina, it is so funny. So that's like a personal thing that I look forward to every year is my dad reading the script for Moses. <laughs> Love that. Your dad plays but, Moses. Yeah. My dad always played Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you oh, know, man. he's got the beard and everyone's like, you're Jesus. And he'd be like, okay. He does. Yeah. He but has the it. beard. All he needs is a baby doll. It works. Or wait, never mind. Sorry. I was thinking Joseph. Baby doll. No, only Oscar Isaac can play Joseph. No, I'm what about, was right? Oscar Isaac Joseph for? What? Oh my God! You. What movie are you talking dare about? Dare you? How dare you? This is where Oscar Isaac got his big start, and everyone forgets what? about it. But me, I was in love with him then, and then he got cast in Star Wars, and everyone loves him now. Oh no, but- no, no! I like Oscar Isaac pre-Star Wars, but post whatever you're talking about, Oscar Isaac from um, Inside Lewin Davis. Okay, yes. But you will admit he got his he got his mainstream popularity film. in Star Wars. Yeah, that's very true. Which kills me because he played Joseph in the movie called The Nativity Story. Girl, what movie are you talking about? I've you never don't, heard of this. You haven't heard of this? I'm so sorry. There's a gnat flying around my room too. And if you hear me start choking, it's because I swallowed it. <laughs> um let's see. Okay, but when um, did this movie come out? Give me 2006. Okay, so this would have been like around the same time as like End of the Spear came out. You don't and have... also Yeah. Uh, no, no, you're good. I was just going to say um you don't have like a working web browser right now and all the stills from this su- Oh, that's pretty high quality. Okay, I'm going to use that one. It's Copy. currently a miracle that Anchor is functioning on my computer because every window I've tried to open, it times out before it can load anything. All right, here you go. Let me see if I can paste this. Paste. Okay. There he is. As Ooh, Joseph. A giant gray box. Holy wow. Okay. Yeah. So he was yeah, Joseph he in the Nativity off. Story. And the thing was, is that, that I actually really love this movie for one, like, it, it has its kind of moments where you're like, meh. But what I loved about it is the representation 
they weren't mm-hmm. white. Yeah. They were all people of color, including Mary. She looks like she might be white in the picture, but she's not. She's, um, oh, she looks. She was in uh, Game of Thrones. But anyway, um, okay. no, like that's, I had the, I had this whole Facebook post where I vented about the fact that everyone was like falling in love with Oscar Isaac after Star Wars. And I was like, okay, but I loved him back when he played Jesus's daddy, you know, as a joke, but and oh my none of y'all can take that away from me. Like I am the biggest crush on him uh, from this movie. And, um, you know, this, this to me, I think is where he got his quote unquote big break, like mm-hmm. kind of. In a mainstream movie, I I do believe this movie was pretty mainstream. Um, but uh, I mean, was it produced by like Jesus Movies International or like? No, 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 no. no. Let me see this. Real okay. Quick. No, it was um, it was done by. It's got a thirty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Get off my ass. Oh. Um, no. da, 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 da. Um, first and foremost, Catherine Hardwick directed it. Um, Who? Catherine Hardwick also directed the first Twilight movie. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's horrific. I know, no. It was distributed Ew. by uh, New Line Cinema. Distributed by New Line oh, Cinema. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. they're like a relatively reputable... Yeah. I mean, like, I just... Yeah. I think at that stage in my life the most Christian movies I was watching were end of the spear, which was the first PG 13 movie I watched. And that was just for extra credit. Mm-hmm. And well, the first one I watched in theater and the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So the nativity story um, with, with my, my good man, Oscar Isaac, who I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I got that. on the subject. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know either. Oscar um, Isaac sidetracked. But I would I, I like the opinion question you have in here. Um, yeah. And would you like to say your stance on it first, or would you like to hear mine? Or I want to hear your stance on it first. Okay. So, do you think that there is a role for Christians to celebrate Passover? Yes, no, or is it a gray zone? And if so, like why and when or how? I think for educational purposes. I think that the Jewish people would I, I think the Jewish people would welcome anyone, not just particularly Christians. And I think that this is proven by the fact that, you know, you are welcome at your family friend Seder, even though you're not practicing Judaism or, you know, practicing the Jewish faith, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that the people of the Jewish faith have always welcomed others in to, to learn and to it be a part of a celebration. You know, I don't think they've ever tried to exclude others as far as like the Jewish people that I've interacted with. I've never known any mm-hmm. of them to be like, no, you can't come. You're not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and that can, that can be said about a lot of faiths too. Like Easter and, and, and Christmas are, are big days for Christian churches. Cause they're always like, yes, come. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but that also always like is like a yes, come because we want to convert you. Yes, ah. that's exactly what I was about to tie into. It's always there's always in, at least in the Christian faith, it's always about like, eh, hey, hey, we might convert you. That's where the difference in the Jewish faith lies, I believe, because it's never been like they they will. I think that they say, you know, 
you are not of the Jewish faith, and I, I recognize that, and um, you you don't practice, but you're still welcome at our celebration. Yes, yeah. And I think that that's the difference there. Now, I think that here's where I have an issue with Christians celebrating Passover, is if uh-huh. it is fully by Christians, it is a, like, there are no Jewish people there. That is, yes. That's my issue with it. And I love my mother. However, she is more of a practicing Christian than she is a practicing Jew. Mm -hmm. Um, And when she went to her Seder or went to her Passover celebration, I think everyone there was Christian. Now, I could be completely wrong. Someone there could be Jewish. She herself is Jewish by heritage. But it's been a minute since she's had a Passover. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's almost like um, cultural appropriation. Yes. That's, yeah. It is actually cultural appropriation when Christians yes. take something. It's it's like white people taking um, dreads and yes. trying to oh make them God, a yes. thing. It is, they're not a thing. It's They're mats. Your hair is not or dreading. Um, or box braids. Yeah. Like, white people, no, 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 no. That is not our thing. Don't touch that. That's not your thing. Mm-hmm leave it to the cultures that actually understand the significance of those things, you know? Um, But Christians do the same thing with um, Passover. Mm -hmm. I I noticed that a lot more. Like, I think my mom's church had a Passover event. I'm like, so are you trying to take parts of the Jewish faith? Mm-hmm. and make it your own because it's not this didn't yeah. happen to you that's the whole yeah. point of of the passover seder is that this is a remembrance of what their ancestors went through yes christians and didn't that... go through this yes that's where the difference lies that's where there's cultural appropriation that's what i don't like now welcoming someone of another faith into a Passover to include them and have them be part of the celebration and like have them kind of learn and understand that's different. But when Mm -hmm. you're just celebrating it just to celebrate it. Yeah. Because you can. That's, that's the problem that I have with it. Yes. And that's exactly, that is the page that I am on as well. Like I had a couple of friends in like, mid to late college who were like, yeah, like we're going to do a Passover with our church. And I was like, hmm, weird. Interesting. Why are you something about Passover? that doesn't, I know I was like, at the time I like, didn't really know how to verbalize it, but I was like, something about that just doesn't sit right with me. Like mm-hmm. nobody is Jewish. They're probably not going to do it. Like it just didn't sit right with me. But right. like, I also, and never felt like unwelcome at a Passover with a Jewish family. And I think that like therein lies the difference is that like, if you are invited to like participate in something with someone and like, if you're invited by someone to whom that practice belongs, like that's one thing that's different. That's an open invitation. That's like a cultural appreciation um, and like a respect. But if you like try to co-opt it and make it your own, um, especially if like, like bring it back to like dreads and box braids, like mm-hmm. those have become quote unquote acceptable for white people to wear or have in the fat in like in the sense that like, it's not seen as like gross or 
dirty or unprofessional. Whereas like if a person of color has dreads or box braids, like it has commonly been seen as um, like not quote unquote work appropriate or quote unquote dirty. And that's like where the appropriation comes in. Like if you are able to take something and co-opt it for yourself and have it be more acceptable than it would be for like the creators of that to practice it or to have it like that's wrong you shouldn't do that mm -hmm. um it just shows white privilege which is also like i think in a way like because passover is like at times both a celebration and a reminder of all of the um like trials and difficulties and persecution that um the jewish nation has endured that for non-Jewish people to like take it and co-opt it as their own because it's like quote unquote Jesus's last supper or something. It's not, it's not okay. It's not. So yeah. No. And yeah. I like, so this, like at uh, the end. No, go ahead. Yeah. So like, I think at the end of the day, like if you're invited to participate in it, like with somebody who is actually Jewish, either by heritage or by religion, like hell yeah, go for it. But like, don't throw your own passover party right right because you you don't understand the significance of what you're doing like you can read exodus mm -hmm. and you can like read what the people went through but mm -hmm. it, there's a different feeling when you know like way back down your heritage like someone you might have been related to like went through this yeah you know um yeah. And I like this tweet that you shared. I wish I could open it because I wanted to read the whole thing, but my stupid browser window is not cooperating. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <sighs> da, 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 da. Okay. So, um, I have it open. So, five myths about Passover. Um, and it is by uh, Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. Yes. Okay, so she just had a tweet that said, now that we're getting closer to Passover and Easter, a reminder that Christian satyrs are appropriate, ooh, appropriationistic. Yes. Problematic and big also word. not, yeah, that was a big word, and also not historically accurate. Don't host them and don't participate them, participate in them. Um, and then she shares a link, which I believe she wrote um, mm -hmm. about like five, yeah, she did, uh, five myths about Passover. Um, so myth number one is that the Seder tells the historical story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. Um, a lot of literalists, both Jewish and Christian, presume that the Exodus story is a faithful recording of historical fact. Um, let's see. But the historical accuracy of the Exodus is hotly debated among scholars. So, um, so archaeologists and Egyptologists have never found uh, evidence that would be directly connected to the Israelites enslavement or departure or of a large group of people, you know, 600,000 men plus women and children wandering the Sinai, de uh, Sinai desert for 40 years, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So that's the first one. So um, she ends it with like, she ends that one with saying like, regardless, some truths are deeper than history. The story of enslavement and liberation is a deep inedible fact mm -hmm. of Jewish theology and a mature yes. faith can hold an expansive understanding of God and holy text that embraces the ways um, this story, no matter whether it happened historically, 
uh, helps us see who we are and the nature of our obligations to those oppressed today. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. The second one is that the Seder is, is a purely Jewish tradition. Um, and she says here that many scholars today argue that the Seder is based on the Greco-Roman model of the symposium, which involved, among other things that may sound familiar to anyone celebrating a Passover, a banquet framed by specific appetizers, eating in um, a specific position, drinking a predetermined number of cups of wine, songs of praise, easily accessible questions, and deep discussion of philosophical mm -hmm. matters that sometimes lasted all the way, all the way into the night. So I... there's a tie into other the the satyrs based on something that is not like specifically jewish you know mm -hmm. i also want to give you a heads up i think we have three minutes before we run out of recording time oh yay okay so i can just go over the last couple if you want um jesus's last sober was a passover no it wasn't um Number four, the Seder centers on asking and answering four questions. Um, and that says, and she says here, if you um, carefully look um, at the Haggadah, there's only one question, which is, why is this night different from all other nights? Yep. Um, and number five, there's a standard list of foods Jews avoid during Passover. It's like, no, um, it's not just that it uh, looks like there's other things involved in that but so like there's a whole list here and she makes some really good points there but amanda what do you recommend this week <laughs> that twitter thread was my recommendation for this week oh love it <laughs> i'm so sorry i kind of ruined yeah. this recommendation but go into That's it okay. and look into it because you know what that'll be my recommendation too because i had a lot of really good info yeah, absolutely. And like, that's also something that I, yeah, that's also research that I want to do because I, I mean, obviously, like, I think people who believe or ascribe to Christianity and people who believe or ascribe to Judaism are going to have like differing um, beliefs and accounts on what Jesus's last supper was or wasn't. Um, but that's a disagreement that I want to read further into and learn more about. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But yeah, that's my recommendation for this week is that Twitter thread and the accompanying Washington Post perspective article. Yes. We so we'll put that link. in the show notes. Yes. But Amanda, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Dear God WTH. If you reach out to us on Instagram with our spiffy new logo, you're most likely going to get a hold of me. If you reach out to us on Twitter, you're most likely going to get a hold of Christina. Yes. And as always, you can listen, rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think we're also going to start reminding you to do that at the beginning of our episodes instead of just the ending. But True. please remember to do that, y'all. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but this has been another episode of Dear God. What the hell? Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.